All right, all right. Let me, let me explain. I know that's two country songs two weeks in a row. Let me, let me just explain, all right? Um, that's all I can sing, okay? Forget that, right? Uh, but, but, but I want to explain about the lyrics because there's, there's some important stuff here. Uh, for one thing, it's hard to use all modern genres of music. Um, you know, you got to admit, um, there's not a lot of stuff on the radio you could use anyway. This is a remake of an old George Strait song, classic song. I'll explain why in a minute. Um, but an illustration of stuff I can't use happened at Easter. If you were here, if you're visiting, we're really glad that you're here. If you come for our special days, um, if you walked in at one of the services, I believe on Saturday at Easter, on the TV over here, like we have these monitors playing announcements and stuff, um, somebody hacked into it and changed it to MTV. I didn't even know we got cable. I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know how it happened, but all of a sudden we get this call backstage. Um, there are dancing girls in bikinis on the TV in the lobby. Okay. Sh- sure enough, um, it was, uh, most of you probably won't even know this name, but it was a Wiz Khalifa song. All right, young people. Wiz Khalifa. There's not a lot of Wiz Khalifa I can do, okay? This song involved uh, the old English word for donkey, and um, that was in the title, and that's basically what he was talking about the whole time in the song, and there were dancing bikini girls. And I know there were some teenage boys that walked in on Easter like, this is the best church ever. I'm coming to Jesus, Lord, here I am. But we got that taken care of. I'm, I'm just saying, sometimes I just got to go with the lyrics. And, and, the, and I'm sorry for the bluegrass, but the reason that I wanted to do that, two, two reasons for us on Father's Day. Number one, it really does illustrate uh, life as a Christian. It, it, illustrates, um, it, it illustrates what things are life for us. There's angels on my left and demons on my right. And there's one of the lines in there that says, I know where to draw the line, but sometimes there's just something about that other side. I know what I, I'm supposed to do, but, 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 but sometimes I don't do that. The Apostle Paul said, we call this the do-do verse in Romans. It's, I know that nothing good lives in me that in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And I want to do what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, I, I, that's what keeps happening. That's what it keeps doing. It's the sin living inside of me. It's that Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And that's the Apostle Paul. So that's the reality. The reality is there are temptations and there's a lot of stuff out there that, that we all battle with, okay? I might not have gender dysphoria, okay? The Bruce Jenner, you know, Caitlyn Jenner thing going on, right? Uh, and this week in the news, we have racial dysphoria, right? The NAACP woman. Uh, and, and just so you know, um, I am completely white. And um, <laughs> just watch me dance sometime and, and uh, you'll know, Okay. But I have plenty of dysphorias on my own. I have plenty of things that I wrestle with. And I have to admit, if I admit that there's a struggle, sometimes I want to be Jesus, sometimes I want to be Jesse James, then at least I can, I can talk about it. I can get it out there, and I can start getting towards the life that God really wants me to live. But the other part of the reason that I wanted to do that song for Father's Day is because, and I know Jesse James was a murderous outlaw, but at the core of this song is an issue of manhood to me. I believe that most people have this idea that being a Christian is about the stuff that you're supposed to give up instead of the stuff that you're gaining. That, that's what it is. And we talked about the prodigal son the other day, uh, last week, and, and I preached about the fact that, that this father is God, and there's two sons. There's the younger son that runs away and then comes home, and then there's the older son that's just there. And he's the son that represents religion. And it says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In, in other words, we called this slaving and partyless. This guy represented religion because he was enslaving and partylessness. That's what he thought religion was supposed to be. And I think that's what this song is about. I mean, sometimes I want to, you know, be good, but sometimes I just want to have adventure. Dad says, my son, I don't want you to live that way. You are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. This is, we're supposed to celebrate, but why didn't you celebrate? You could have done this. This is what we want us to do on Father's Day is to celebrate. And I think if, if Christianity was, was measured more by some of the fun things that we can do and the life of adventure that we have, which is what I want to talk about today, then maybe there's not this big paradox between the two things. Most people, when they hear the word Christian, Christian man, they think of this. Idly ho, neighborinos. Don't they? <laughs> they think of Ned Flanders, right? Is that what a Christian man ought to look like? Well, let me start by saying I don't think there's a, 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 a version of a Christian man and what a Christian man ought to look like. A Christian man might be a Harley-riding, beer-drinking guy, you know, with nothing else to talk about but the Blackhawks, okay? He might be. Or he might be a classical music-loving vegan with a membership to the art museum, right? Both of those are examples of, I mean, there's not one example. I, that's not my Harley. I had a Harley for a while until I crashed and my wife Took it away from me. <laughs> That's a true story. I got a broken collarbone right here to prove it. I, I like sports, you know. I, I drink my coffee black. I have a real tattoo, okay? I do. Ah, ah, ah. But, and you're getting one on the way out as well, so you can have one all day. But I don't really like beer. And I listen to classical music just about every day. When I study, I listen to classical music. And I love the art museum, okay? I'm just saying there's, there's, not, there's not one image of what a male ought to look like. What I'm saying is that you shouldn't have to lay down your, your man card to follow Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. Obviously, in this song, I want to line them up and drink them. I want to love them and leave them. That's not the best way for you to live, for you, and it's also not the best way for the people around you. I'm sick and tired of cleaning up the messes of guys who can't man up and stop doing all the bad things to themselves that screw up everyone else's life. It doesn't take a man to leave. It takes a man to stay. Can I get an amen? All right. And unfortunately, many of you, as we celebrate Father's Day, many of you have a really hard time with that because your dad wasn't around. Obviously, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. And, of course, you shouldn't want to rob a train. And you shouldn't want wanted above your name. Okay, that's not what this is about. I think this is about wanting adventure. We want adventure as men, especially. I mean, I think all human beings do, but men really want adventure. You can have wanted above your name if you want it. I'll go send you to plant a church in North Korea. You can do that. But, but we want adventure. You want, to, you want to be an African-American pastor in the South where there are still white supremacists around that think that we ought to not be together. There, there's, there's a place for you to have adventure, but there's a place for you to have adventure even in your life here. Lame and tame is not what Jesus called us to. Yes, this is a Jesus rubber ducky. 
It's just so offensive to me. I'm sorry. I mean, get the yellow duck and put it in the bathtub. This is not Christianity. Christian, Christian men, five out of six men in America call themselves a Christian. And two out of six attend church on, on a regular weekend. And I'm not giving you a hard time if you're one of those guys and you usually don't come. I don't think it's your fault. I think it's our fault. I think it's the church's fault. Because what we've called you to is a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations. It's slaving and partyless. And God's like, why? Why are you doing that? That's not how I want you to live. This is the famed WWJD um, vest. If you've ever heard me tell this story, this is a guy named Franco in our church. He was not a believer and uh, a biker guy. And he, uh, he, when these were popular, he, he just, for some reason, he just thought, oh, that's cool. I'll put that on my vest. And so he did, not knowing what it meant. And he would just, he would just you know, ride around and, you know, look like he knew what it was about. And one day, you know, another believer walked up to him and goes, hey, WWJD, me too. And Franco goes, what does it mean? <laughs> the guy goes, it's, what would Jesus do? And Franco goes, ah, oh, I thought it was we want Jack Daniels. Why is it that that meaning changes so much right there, you know? It's like, oh, well, I'm taking it off now. I mean, that, that's lame. That's boring. That, that's slavery and party-less. How did a faith, here's my question, how did a faith founded by a man and 12 male disciples become so wimpy? I mean, Jesus had no problem motivating men to drop their nets, to drop their livelihood, to drop everything and follow him. And we can't get guys to drop their remote and do anything. What, what is that? And part of that is cultural, I get it, but I believe that it's because God made men for adventure and achievement and challenge. And if they don't find it in the church, they're going to find it somewhere else. And I know women, you're, I mean, I've got three daughters, they're going to say, wait a minute, we want achievement and an adventure. I know, I know, I know, but God wired us differently, okay? He made us male and female. You've got to understand that. Men are supposed to be different than women, all right? We are not supposed to have to watch Daunton Abbey. Can I get an amen? I mean, that is, there is, there, I don't get it. There's no reason why that should happen. We are supposed to stand up to go to the bathroom. We're, we're, we're designed that way. Because there's adventure in that, okay? <laughs> Anybody can hit it sitting down. I mean, how hard is that? Listen, when your wife asks you what you're thinking, you are supposed to be able to say, nothing. I really, I'm not thinking anything. I'm staring blankly into space. We are different, okay? And on the other side of that, ladies, you can try as hard as you want to get your little boys to, to not have winners and losers in life. You know, you could try to, you know, okay, we're going to play a game, but there's no winners and losers, right? And if you've got a little boy, you know, he, you can say, we're, there's no winners or losers, just players. And you've got a little boy, he's going to turn to his little brother and go, I'm a better player than you. What is that? That's about challenge. That's about adventure. Do you ever wonder why the harder they make a golf course the more people will pay to play it. Think about it. I mean, you can go play White Mountain for 15 bucks, but it'll cost you 50 grand just to get into Medina if they have an opening. Why? Because we want adventure. And it started out that way. I mean, in the very beginning, 
In Genesis, it says, multiply. This is what God tells us. Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. You are the masters of the fish and the birds and all the animals. Do you see what that is? What do you have there? You have hard work. You have fishing. You have hunting. And you have sex. And they called it paradise, boys and girls. And it's not like that anymore. It's not like that. Thoreau wrote that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. I think we see that. Classic line from Braveheart, right? All men die, but few men ever really live. That's why so many men are addicted to sports or their careers or, or whatever. And honestly, if you, if you do a study, if you look into why men have affairs, and women too, a lot of times for this, it's, it's not about love. It's not even about the sex. A lot of times they will admit it's just adventure. Life was boring and it's just adventure. Here's what I want you men to know. You have more to live for. Satan knows that you are dangerous, and the spiritual power that you possess inside of you is something that scares him, and his greatest tactic is to convince you that what would Jesus do is boring and lame and nice, and that's exactly what he wants for you. And if you ever really took Christian manhood seriously, you will be dangerous because your heart is dangerous to Satan, to the enemy, when you get a hold of what God wants you to do. Let me give you a scripture from 1 Corinthians. This is Paul finishing up a letter, and it's kind of written in a military metaphor, and it's kind of like he's signing off. This is the last thing I want to say to you. You know, don't do drugs, right? The very last thing I want to tell you, and, it, and, and it's this. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. There's five things there. I'm going to put them together into four, okay, with a military feel. The first one is alertness. Be on your guard. That's the first thing that you ought to do. God has called you to be on guard over your family. Right? The Bible says be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do you realize that? That is the adventure you need for. This is a military metaphor, very obviously. Be on guard for your family. Men, period. Be on guard for your extended family, for the people around you. It should not be, there should not be a surprise attack on the people that are in your life. You should be praying for them. You should be watching out for them. When we went to Israel a couple of years ago, we took a group from the church, about 55 of us, and one of the guys had a relative that wasn't from our church that went with us. And we didn't know who he was, but, but whenever we went somewhere, uh, you know, to one of the sites to visit, he would always be over, like, on the edge, you know, kind of just watching everything. I mean, we didn't ask him to. We didn't feel like we needed any security. Everything, was, you know, was pretty safe. But it, but it was obvious that he was, like, he was somebody that knew what he was doing and knew about how to assess a situation. Turns out he was a commander in the Navy. And we, I started calling him Perimeter Eric because every time we'd go somewhere, Perimeter Eric would be on the perimeter. You know, I expected him to start talking into his wrist at some point and, and, and watching out for things. Dads, that's what we're supposed to do, okay? Most dads aren't. Most dads' kids are doing whatever they want to. Here's a great way for you to have adventure. Pay attention to what's going on in your family's lives. What is it that you ought to be thinking about right now? Are you a perimeter dad? I raised three daughters not very long ago. I just basically got done. One's 28, one's 25, one's 22. Two are married, 
one grandkid, another one's got one on the way, and it's not that long ago that we raised daughters in this world. And my parents' generation would say things like, man, I, I, don't, I, don't, know how you, I don't know how you're going to raise kids in this, in this world, all right? And, you know, sometimes I feel the same way. I mean, I don't know how my kids are going to raise my grandkids because things constantly change. But if, if we were being really honest, um, the world's always been a little screwed up. Yeah, how, how did Jesus' parents raise him under Roman occupation? I mean, I mean, there's, there's always something, right? That raising daughters wasn't easy, but I was on watch. I mean, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, our kids were not, our girls were not allowed to date. A, they were allowed to have boyfriends and, and, and do all that kind of stuff. And they were allowed to date, but they were not to, allowed to be alone on a date with a boy until they were 16 years old. All you parents are like, preach it, brother, and all the younger kids are making obscene gestures at me under the seats. I, I get it, okay? But I'm telling you, uh, that's my family. I'm on watch. And you say, well, Tim, didn't you trust your daughters? Yeah, I trust my daughters. I didn't trust your sons. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, they were not allowed unrestricted time and access to the media. Why would I do that? I mean, would you let Wiz Khalifa come into your house and sing that song in your living room? I mean, really? Hey, Wiz, come on in. Oh, good. You brought the bikini girls. This is awesome. Come on in. Set up over by the fireplace. You wouldn't do that. So why would you allow them to watch it in their room on television? Man up. That's what I'm saying. Be alert. Perimeter dad. Number two, courage. Men of courage stand firm in the faith. Let me tell you what that's about. I'll put those together. When it comes to having a strong faith, it has to do with having a strong understanding of God and who he is. It has to do with a strong understanding of the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. How should you be strong in the Lord? Okay, that's how you stand firm. And the Lord is, is the one who's firm in his mighty power. You put on the armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. This is the battle we're in. Sometimes it's going to be hard, but we've got to stand strong. In, in Exodus, when, when Moses leads the children of Israel up to the rock in the hard place, the Red Sea on one side and the Egyptian army on the other side, he, 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 he answered the people. The people were like, uh-oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And Moses said, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and today you will see the deliverance the Lord brings. We stand firm. That's how we have courage is that we know who's in charge. Stand firm. God is with us. I don't care what it is in your bad habits, in your tough marriage, in your, in your lousy job, in your midlife crisis, whatever Satan is throwing at you, stand firm, okay, because God is with you. After God rescues them, he says, Moses says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. He, it, maybe that doesn't sound right to you because your image of God is like Santa Claus. But God is not like Santa Claus. God is a warrior. God is a superhero. That is what I'm talking about. And maybe that's your problem is that you don't think he's strong enough or you don't think he cares enough to be able to take care of you. Stand firm and let him help you. That's what courage is. Listen, he can't help you if you're always running away. 
Be men of courage. Number three, be strong. Be strong. What was Jesus like? I mean, this has always used to bug me when they would make cheesy Bible movies back in the day. I was so glad they at least got Jim Caviezel to be Jesus in the Passion movie. Well, give me an image of Jesus that, you know, is just not some wimpy, hippie guy walking around saying, peace, man, everybody, and his sandals, right? As the child grew, it says, he became strong and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. I mean, he, Jesus was a carpenter, but that meant he was a lumberjack, really, literally. I mean, it's like... There was no home, you know, there's no Home Depot to run over to. He couldn't go to Lowe's and get his lumber. They cut their own trees down. They also worked with rocks. I'm not saying that like Jesus was buff. I'm just saying that Jesus wasn't this image of this weak-willed little, you know, loving little hippie guy that walked around like that. That's why I love the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, probably saw some of those movies along the way. Interesting story about that was that was it Aslan, the lion, was a representation of Jesus. And that, you know, after C.S. Lewis wrote that, that series of books, they became very popular, and people kept wanting to make movies about, about it. And he would never let it happen because he didn't want them making a movie with a cheesy-looking Aslan. You know, I mean, back in the day, what would you have had? They didn't have the, the cool effects. They didn't have the, the cool animation stuff that they could do. He would have, Aslan would have looked like Wizard of Oz, right? I mean, that, that's what would have happened. And, and so he would not, it was not until after Lewis was, was dead and his family finally signed off and said, okay, now I believe that you can make a lion that looks strong like Aslan the lion. Here's his picture, ought to look like. Oh, this is his picture. Yeah, he's down here. Um, that ought to be your image of, of Jesus. And one of the great lines in the book is Lucy, the little girl, when she first learns about Aslan, she says, well, is he safe? And the answer is, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. Jesus isn't safe, he's good. Why did Jesus attract men followers? Who was he? I mean, he was, a, he was a loving man. He loved children. He said, let the children come to me. He, he was a caring man. He healed people who had infirmaries, had things that were going on. He, he was that kind of a person. But if you were an oppressive, arrogant person getting in the way of God's love, Jesus was just intimidating. When they went to try to arrest him in John 18, Jesus, knowing that all this was going to happen, he went out and asked them, who do you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, uh, that's me. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Does that sound like a wimp? I mean, I mean I don't, the power of God was within him. At another point, you probably know this story, temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So Jesus made a whip out of cords, and he drove all of them from the temple area, and the sheep and the cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Does that sound like a weak person to you? When he calmed the storm, the disciples were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He was direct. One of the experts in the law said, teacher, you're insulting us. And Jesus said, okay, well, let me stay at it. You experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Do you understand that Jesus made people mad all the time? Do you understand that the reason 
they killed him was because he made people mad all the time. Because he was strong. Philip Yancey says, how would telling people to be nice to one another get a man crucified? What government would execute Captain Kangaroo? (laughs) If Captain Kangaroo is your image of Jesus, please put that out of your mind. Jesus was strong. That's why he attracted strong people throughout the centuries and and wants you to be strong. And then the the last part that ties it all together is, is love. And do everything in love. Be be on guard, be alert, stand firm, be men of courage. You know, be strong, but in everything, love. Now, again, ladies, we do things a little differently than you when we love. Somebody sent these pictures off the internet. I mean, they're, you know, (laughs) they're, they're, they're a little different. Yeah, you wanna help me barbecue? Right? Hey, what do you want to be for Halloween? <laughs> Hannibal. There's a difference in the way we do things. We understand that. But we still love them. I mean, they need us, right? We still love them. What I'm describing, please understand this. What I'm describing is not some kind of a macho fest here that, you know, we're like, all the guys need to walk out of here and go, oh, 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 you know, let's go get a brat, you know, and have a beer and, and, and talk about how manly we are. Above all these things, the Bible says put on love. But, but what we need are godly men. What we need are godly men that make a commitment to treat our family with love no matter how we feel. And what does that love look like? I mean, when you think love is wimpy, listen to this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not boast. This is the hardest thing any human being could ever do. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts. There's a perimeter dad right there, right? It always trusts. It always hopes. Always perseveres. Stands strong. Love never fails. We've all been impressed, if you've been watching on the internet with the family members, I said this earlier in my prayer, family members of the victims in Charleston who have already been able to speak to the shooter and have already forgiven him. One of them said, we told you we enjoyed having you here when you were with us. I mean, remember, this is why this is so dear to me. It's not just that this race thing won't go away, but he walks into church and sits down with an with them for an hour and has Bible study and prayer with them. They welcomed him in. One lady said, we told you that we enjoyed having you when you were here and you've hurt us deeply, but we forgive you. That's courage and strength and love all blended together. Carl Sandburg described Abraham Lincoln as velvet steel. I think that's the best image of what a Christian man could be ever. Velvet steel. John Eldridge wrote a book on this called Wild at Heart. And he said, listen, Christianity is not a religion about going to Sunday school and potluck suppers and and being nice and holding car washes and sending our secondhand clothes off to Mexico. As good as some of those things may be, this is a world at war. Something large and immensely dangerous is unfolding around us. This is why we need men of character, why we need men of strength, men of courage, men who are alert. That's, That's why we need this. Listen to some of the men in the Bible as the Hebrew writer described them. These guys weren't perfect. You'll notice this from some of the, from some of the lists here, but listen to what he says. 
What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and persecuted and mistreated. And here's the line I love. The world was not worthy of them. Where did those guys go? That's what's missing from Christianity today. When Ernest Shackleton went to discover the North Pole back in 1913, he knew that he needed a crew, and he knew that this crew was very likely not to come back. So he put an ad in the newspapers around the country, all the large papers. And the ad said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Who would apply for that, right? 26 spots, 5,000 men. He had to pick from 5,000 men to go on, a, on that kind of an expedition. Why is that? Because that's the call that's deep down inside of us. I, I really don't want to be Jesse James. Folklore made him out to be this Robin Hood kind of a guy who robbed from the rich and gave to the poor. It's probably just a, a, a dumb legend. He was a murderous thief. That's absolutely who he was. But I do want to be Gideon. I do want to be David, minus a few parts of his life. I do want to be the Apostle Peter. I do want to be the Apostle Paul. I do want to be Abraham Lincoln. I do want to be Dr. Martin Luther King. I do want to be Reverend Clemente C. Pickney, who welcomed a man from another race into his church for Bible study and prayer, only to be killed by him. I want to be that kind of a man. The world is not worthy of them.